0: When you're new to the business, all you need to do is go find one piece of land and put it on the market. And then when someone says, how much real estate have you sold? You say
1: a lot. <laughs> Welcome to the Messy Empire with Karen Prawl, where we prove to you that success is all about embracing the chaos and charging into the unknown.
2: Hey, AJ Guzman, Editorial Director for the Messy Empire. You guys are in for a treat today. We have a really interesting dynamic with Karen and her sister Cindy. Now, these two are massive forces in the real estate industry today, but apparently that runs in their family. Their grandmother actually owned one of the first woman-owned real estate brokerages in America, and their mother completely dominated her town's real estate market in her prime. She's still practicing today, even. So this is going to be a really interesting lens to look at the industry through. Let's dive right in and introduce you guys to Cindy.
1: Um, well, I am the prettier and funnier one of the sisters of the Schmidt sisters. I come from a real estate family, and this is my much, much, well, truly younger sister, Karen. Mm -hmm. Oh,
0: my name is Karen. I'm the youngest of five girls. Uh, Cindy is number four. She's five years older than me. And (laughs) we both work in real estate uh, and our mother does too. And our grandmother. So we come from a long family of realtors.
1: Well, grandmother doesn't anymore.
0: (laughs) That's true. (laughs) She passed on. That's true. Yeah. Uh, She actually hasn't practiced real estate for probably 25, 30 years. True. Wait,
2: so both of you, realtors, mother realtor grandmother realtor mm-hmm. this is a long lineage how how old were you when you got involved in real estate each of you
0: well it's interesting because i think my grandmother if i am, know what i believe to be true is one of the first women-owned brokerage owners in the country oh wow yeah so she opened her own brokerage in 1961 in florida Holy and cow. she had started as a realtor in the late fifties or early to late fifties. So I still have her business card when she started in real estate back then. So very few women were in the business then. And and she, she did it. So.
1: Oh, Karen explain her office
0: in Florida. Yeah.
1: It was so cool. It was at the end of her driveway. Her
0: driveway was a quarter mile long. Mm -hmm.
1: And it was like this little house right on a busy road and that was her office, and so her she would drive just down the driveway to, to go to work. That's a
2: solid commute. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that it
1: was, it was a good commute.
2: That is awesome. All right, so was your mother a realtor while you were young?
1: She did become a realtor probably when we were. It was 1976
0: or seven. Yeah, I was three or four years old.
2: Okay, yeah. so you were still very young. Mm-hmm. When did you guys start getting involved?
1: in real estate or were you in- when she made us do open houses at the age of 12 and flyers she used to pay us like two cents a flyer to put a sticker on <laughs> yeah. and we'd have to walk them around the neighborhood and kind of take the listing book to people yep exactly we were always on errands with her, showing houses with going them.
0: into the office yeah mm-hmm.
2: so. what, what brokerage was your mother with at that, that
0: time richport Rich realtors mm-hmm. richport
1: realtors yeah uh-huh. where's richport realtor it that? was in wheaton uh actually glen ellen yeah um, right at the corner of Butterfield and Park.
0: It was first at 53 down by the old Jewel.
1: Oh, it yeah, was Richport right.
0: and Cobble Banker yep. and then the Jewel.
1: Yep, you're right.
0: And then they moved to Park and Butterfield. Mm-hmm. And some of those people, like my mom, are my mom's good friends still today. And they're still agents today.
1: Yeah. And they used to have the Richport picnic. Oh, that was the best. It was great camaraderie. And all the agents and their families would get together. And it was, it was really good for culture. But everybody loved Rich. And that was the,
2: oh, wait, Ridgeport is one name? Yes. Oh, that's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. I thought for sure that was just a word.
1: No. And then she worked for First United Mm -hmm. and that was good company.
0: And then it was right across
1: from the ice skating rink.
0: And what's Uh, even better is when people complained about that office or complained about our office or office space, I was like, really? Because my mom worked in a real estate office where there was a firing range in the basement. Right. That's when they moved? No. They moved over a firing range? They had their office over a firing range.
1: So you would hear it?
0: All the time. Yeah, it's going to be tough to keep that silent.
1: Pew, pew, pew. That's why it's good you know, for people that are easily distracted but can still get things done.
2: <laughs> and then
1: uh, Remax.
2: How, wait, so how long was the stint at Ridgeport?
0: I don't know. I don't know. Seven, eight years maybe? Maybe. Under a decade. Mm-hmm.
2: And then what was the name of the second one? First United. First United. How long were... Was she at first
0: United?
1: She was there probably 12 years,
2: I guess. Oh, so pretty much through your entire like teenage life. Oh
0: yeah. From the time I was like in fifth or sixth grade, she went to Remax when I was in high school. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. Yeah, because I was gone. Wow. So still at United making flyers, Mm -hmm. handing out open house flyers. That's right. Running the LS book. Mm-hmm. This was your making
1: first, copies. This was your
2: first exposure to real
1: estate? Well, uh, re- yes. And then I came back from Colorado and I needed a job. So I became the front desk secretary for RE Max. And then I ended up working for a real estate agent as his agent assistant for many years. And I took his business from him making $75,000 a year to his next year making $250,000 oh, wow. a year. I knew that I loved the marketing of it, but I really did think that realtors were crazy. They are. They are crazy.
0: Has
2: has that opinion changed at all? Not
1: at all. But I did, I did not like how cutthroat it was. I thought that it was, um, you know, the people just how they treated each other at REMAX at the time, you know, were so competitive and very closed door and, you know, very, lots of drama, lots of drama.
2: So us realtors today are really, really pampered. Mm -hmm. I've never been exposed to that kind of cutthroatness. Right. Also I've always had the MLS like on my phone. Right. So things have just been easy on me.
1: For sure. I mean, you would fill out the listing sheet you know, with pen and ink and then you'd fax it over to the MLS and then they'd print it and then they would be, you'd get the books delivered to you. And then you would take the book, take the book. And we owned the data so the the buyers would come to each office. If they were looking for a house in Wheaton, they would show up at a Wheaton office to look through the real estate books of homes are available on the market so if i had you know my mom had a listing or somebody that wanted to buy in naperville she would either have to go to the board to buy the book or she would have to refer it to somebody that worked in naperville even though she was a wheaton agent that's how protected the data was Mm -hmm. everybody had to come to us
2: yeah that is pretty tough i imagine that they didn't take to you coming into the different lls territories there
1: no very very competitive like naperville agents were Neighborville agents, but mm-hmm. neighborville was a lot smaller. I mean, anything, you know, south of 75th was in Egypt. You know, it just, that was the end of the earth. And then the um, book we would take to do a CMA, you would make copies of it. And that was illegal, those, actually. It was illegal. Uh huh. We'd well, make copies of it and then you would cut <laughs> I out. Think I don't
2: think they're coming after you. Yeah, though. they're not <laughs> coming after
1: you. now. I'm past the seven years. And you would cut it out and that put together your market analysis. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's pretty rough. Did they teach you how to do that? Was was there anybody around that
1: taught you how to do any of this? The agent that I worked with. Yeah, he was very much of a Mike Ferry type of agent. That's what made him successful, that he believed in coaching.
2: Okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. When did Mike Ferry rise to fame? Because Mike Ferry still got a following today.
1: I coached with Mike Ferry in 2007. Mm -hmm. This was 1992-93 when you were born. I could only be half as good as my mom I mean th- that's the difference Mike Ferry versus Tom Ferry Pat Schmidt versus Cindy Schmidt I mean they, I just feel like my mom has an amazing reputation in real estate I would hope to end my career with the same type of reputation but you know it's it's a different world out there so I probably have a different attitude she's much nicer I am much nicer no mom is I am. <laughs> no you're not Karen's not much nicer. I'm, I'm much nicer. I mean, if you're talking sister to sister, I'm much nicer. Yeah. Ask your staff. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. We talked about that earlier.
0: We,
2: we did talk about that. Aaron Casara loves you. Like, you are, I think you shared a bowl table with him.
1: We did. And I honestly could steal Aaron away in a minute. I did. I, what did I know him for, what, six weeks? And I fell in love with that guy.
0: He's oh. a keeper. He is. He's a great kid. Yeah. Everyone's a kid now. Everybody has a kid. So I always thought that uh, growing up, I, when I was walking around mom's offices, that everybody was so old, mm-hmm. right? Everybody was so old because I was young. And I'm like, that person's old, that person's old, that person's old. And now when kids walk around our office, I think, oh gosh, those kids think the very same thing, mm-hmm. that I'm the old person. You are. But I moved back from 25 years with being away. And some of the agents I thought and leaders that were so old are still practicing real estate today. Mm-hmm. And so that's been really cool to see. I just saw an agent that I worked with. Uh, I worked also at a front desk at a Remax office, a different one, a competitor, and, um, and then worked for an agent. And I just saw him. He just joined our company. I was in the front, and I looked at him, and his name is Rick Fortson.
1: That is awesome.
0: Yeah, and so I worked for his mom.
1: Sue Fortson.
0: <laughs> and she's a legend. I mean, she, she, legend. she was running 25, 40 listings all the time. Wow. Yeah. I mean, back way back then. So it's full circle, this business. All right. So let's just, we have a ton of legacy agents in our company, in our group.
2: Was, a ton. I was going to say, let's just go with like some day and night comparisons there. So the average agent of a realtor is like 57 or so, but it doesn't seem like that in our
1: offices. No. That's the biggest thing that I noticed coming to Keller Williams from I was at Remax and then Berkshire Hathaway, which is now. I mean, Kennegan Straight, which is now Berkshire Hathaway, and then coming to Keller Williams and you look around the room and most people have brown or blonde hair and not gray. no offense, but it is definitely a younger crowd. You go to a convention and it's very hip, very young, you know, lots of younger, you know, very fun, attractive people. Like it's, it's definitely different than other companies I've worked at.
2: Yeah, I, I would say like that. That's the only lens I look at age at mm-hmm. at our brokerage is kind of legacy versus modern, mm-hmm. like, and like fifty-seven to sixty is like usually where I cut the break. Like sixty and older is a different crowd of agents. For the most part, everybody fifty-seven and younger has a similar style of business, and that's where we see a lot less cut, cutthroat agents. That's we where we see a lot more collaboration. That's not to say that that doesn't exist on the other side of the spectrum because we do have some legacy agents that are the biggest mentors in our industry and the biggest mentors in our offices. But there's definitely a difference between those two groups of people.
0: Well, I think there's also a way of ageism. Real estate used to be, and you remember this, I imagine that when you were negotiating on the phone, it was mean. Like, well, how long have you been in the business? I've been in the business 20 years and blah, 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 blah. And it was a uh, I don't want to say a bully, but it was, a, it was an intimidation tactic. Mm-hmm. And now with business, a couple of things I've realized, it's no longer how long you've been in the business, it's how many units you've sold. Right. Because my mother's been in the business 42 years, but she sold three units in the last two. Right. Right. So those days are gone. And also ageism the other way. And I talked to my mentor, Cameron Mitchell, a lot. And I, and I came full clean about this. I said, I have worked so hard to get where I am, and I'm 46 years old. And I expect everybody else to put in the same time and the same amount of sweat equity and the same amount of heartache and pain to get where I am today, when actually it could be done in a quarter of that time. And I have to be okay with that.
1: Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. And I agree with you, Karen, it has changed a lot of that. You know, you meet an agent that's been in the business for two years, but they're so professional and doing so well Mm -hmm. and sold so many units and you can tell they're so experienced. Um, but back to the age, I, the age thing, it's interesting that we've had more agents join our office that are older because they are interested in learning the technology and, keeping up with the times. And mm-hmm. they've come to our office recently. We've had, you know, two that are really looking to make sure that they don't, that they are able to keep up with the times and the, and the demands. The buyer what age had. range
0: were those people?
1: Well, the one that we are just got is probably late sixties.
0: That's what I was thinking. Yeah. 68 to 72, yeah, which
1: is awesome. I mean, I can't wait to work with her. It's yeah. gonna be so fun. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And she is a legend too. Karen, I'm just going to give you some kudos is bringing the state. Wait you, wait, wait, you are? I am. Just a couple. All right. One or two. We're, that's it. We're recording. We got I know. We're recording. But, um, you know, Keller Williams, what I love about the company is that it brings a professional standard to the <laughs> industry. Like people step it up at this company where they want to be known as the professional and educated and knowledgeable trained, um, you know, everything. Where I didn't feel that in my past company where there was a um, level of being the best you can possibly be. It was just really about, you know, making the dollar, you know, being part of that corporate company. Where here, I definitely feel like there is a level of professionalism. And Karen, you have stepped it up even more, um, providing us with a higher standard for everybody to obtain. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Why then that for mom? For real, I yeah I get that.
2: <laughs> Did either of you start your career, your adult career, in real estate? No. no. So you went away from from realty for a while. Mm-hmm. What was that? What, what were those adventures like?
1: My adventure was out in Colorado. I was a ski instructor in Breckenridge, Colorado. Oh, that's amazing. It was awesome.
2: I'm so sorry you came back.
1: I know, <laughs> I know. I came back for a man. That's a whole other story. We'll talk about that later um but yeah we ended up breaking up so all all happens for a reason but then I ended up going into adapted sports and recreation and I worked for a division of the park district for people with different abilities so I worked there for 11 years and then I worked in a school for two years thinking I wanted to be a teacher and found out that I did not like being stifled in a classroom Mm -hmm. I went from working out of my car to in a classroom and that didn't sit well with me so then I started working in real estate part-time just to you know, get my family going. I had two babies and thought, I'll just do this part-time. So I started part-time. So when an agent comes to me and they're part-time, I get it. I know what it was like. And I remember the day that I decided to quit my other job and go for it. So that moment was very defining for me. And I can't, I look at agents and go, okay, at what point are you ready to go for it?
2: So let's talk about that because you, we've talked about this already. You've also started with real estate as a night job. Sure. What was it like when you finally decided that this was full time for me? What was that experience like? What was the moment, what was like the period of time leading up to that? And then how did you feel after you made the decision?
1: If I could be completely candid, yeah, I was working at the Chicago White Sox. I was a bartender working in the bullpen sports bar down in right field. And I was getting phone calls on my, my cell phone and I couldn't take the call. And it was happening more frequently, and I really needed to get back to people, and I couldn't. And so it was basically the next day after I was so stressed out, not being able to call these people back because I was on a shift. I realized it was time, and so I finished my career when they um, won the series in two thousand five, and I started two thousand six series, a season, and then I I quit after a week, realizing mm-hmm. that I was in the spring market of two thousand six. I was so busy and I went for it. But I had full support of my husband and my family and uh, of course my friends who helped boost my career with awesome referrals. One person in, in particular gave me about a million dollars worth of oh, wow. real estate the following two years. So yeah, it was, it was good. How about you, Karen?
0: Um, I was just working in restaurants and opening and AJ and I have talked about this on, uh, on other shows. And I realized I did not want to be a bartender at 40. Like I was too, I was going to be too tired. I was too old. That's not the life I wanted. And so for me, it was, I was going to switch it. And I worked for a ticket broker also. And he said, you can do real estate whenever you want. So I went to his office every day and helped him a little bit. And then went into real estate. I still bartended one night a week um, just to keep my relationships and my benefits. (laughs) And so that worked out. And then finally I tore the band. I think when I sold my first listing, because I'd had a couple buyers, but when I sold my first listing, mm-hmm. um, I knew that I'm like, okay, I'm out. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's pretty nice. Yeah. And I had no family support. So, like, no offense, but I didn't have a husband. I didn't, it really was on me. Mm-hmm.
2: So at this point, both of you had actually spent a good deal of time outside of the industry. Mm-hmm. Were the changes, how long had you spent away from it, from like your high school, college shops at the front desk to coming back in as a realtor? What were the changes like just during that gap?
0: Everything, the internet, the
1: internet, we didn't, we didn't have the
2: internet uh-huh. back then. So, so you, the last, at this point, you coming back into real estate, the last time you saw real estate, it was all still done on the binders.
0: It yes. Was yes. All still the hot moved. sheet fat, you know, the hot sheet was called the hot sheet because
2: it was still warm from the facts.
0: That's right. Yep. 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 So we all depended on that. um, And it became a very broker dependent, it was a very broker dependent business. I needed my broker to give me all these things because I didn't have access to them.
2: Mm -hmm. So when you came back in, did you feel like your knowledge from your mother and your grandmother, and also your experience working the front desk, did that help you at all? Or did it seem like that was completely useless at this point?
1: Oh, it completely helped me. I honestly feel like Ignite is almost the real estate class from back then. It's very old school. Like the Ignite program is door knocking and relationships with clients and all of that. So yes, everything back then was exactly what we teach in Ignite.
0: Yeah, and mom was so good about um, styles of homes. We knew every style of every home. Correct. We knew We knew neighborhoods, we knew builders, and she modeled great behavior as a great realtor for us. So she got a car phone in like 1982 Mm, and we would drive around and she's been in the same house since 1968 and still is today.
1: Do you know I had a fake cell phone in my car like it was a pretend? Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll talk about that later.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. And she would pick up the phone and call people and say, hey, Jane, I saw that you painted your front door or got a new fence to a client she'd sold five, 10 years ago. Hmm. So she was doing like a Brian Buffini type program and she may have taken it because she's, she was very learning based. Mm-hmm. She had her GRI. I mean, she really was learning based mm-hmm. and she sat on professional mm-hmm. standards like I do now. And it, we, it was really a great um, lesson of modeling behavior of how to stay in touch because she could ride her bike around the neighborhood. And this was 10 years ago, not today, but, and they would say, Oh, there's Pat, the realtor. Yes. That's what everybody knows her. Hmm. So and she would buy and sell the same homes, list and sell the same homes two, three, four times over. So still today, I would imagine, maybe other than you, nobody knows that neighborhood better than my mom. Still today. The data, she checks the hot sheet every day. Every day. She previews, she knows the market, she knows what's under contract, she knows what's sold. So she those behaviors are what she taught us.
1: I used to call her the price queen. Literally, she could drive past a house and price it. Oh wow. Yeah.
2: So, you guys are kind of touching on something really important there. The fundamentals are still the same. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what the tools look like, the fundamentals of being successful in real estate and doing this this business well still look the same. Absolutely. And when you came back in, did the culture seem different? Because while you were still in high school, everything was very cutthroat. Mm -hmm. It was all very guarded from agent to agent. Had that
1: changed yet? Not really for me, because I came back in in 2005, and it was a, it was crazy town. People were in the business because of the height of the market, joining. It was it was very cutthroat, I felt, and I did not like it, actually.
0: I came back in in 2003, so a little bit earlier than you, and I was at an independent brokerage, and I walked in, and I sat there, and I'm like, these aren't my people. Hmm. And I realized one of my regulars in the bar, he said, my wife is opening this new company, it was called Keller Williams. I would love for you to meet with her. Oh, wow! and that's how I found KWs from one of my bar regulars. And so I met with them and I loved the people. And huh. it had just, I didn't know at the time it literally had just launched. So you got pretty lucky there. I got super lucky. Like oh, and it just launched in what city was that Columbus, Ohio in Columbus. Ohio. Yeah. And so I was expecting, cause in high school I used to go home from high school and have nightmares of like, you know, the pit area where there's knee high desks, you know, like mm-hmm. in the, Pit that the bodies were human men, bottoms, and suit, like gray suit pants, and shark tops. And I used to have this reoccurring dream all the time that they were just swimming because people would walk in the office and they would turn their computer monitor or they close their door or they'd never talk about their listing. Or it'd be like, Where'd you get that listing? Mm-hmm. Well, how do you find that buyer? And it all came from such scarcity. So for me, I knew I was in alignment right away when I went to KW, but I didn't really know what it was.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Kind of freaky. Why? I don't know. Just that whole visual.
0: Every, I still have it. <laughs>
1: Therapy, maybe?
0: The, the uh, self-policing and the self-reporting and all these people that are right fighting for accuracy, which is important. Yet um, now with the realtor population shrinking – And teams getting bigger and the reporting and the accuracy and stuff that's happening with teams and stuff too. Like, I, I know that if I write an ad and say, I'm on a, I'm a buyer's agent on a team and I say, I sold 36 houses. I can't say that Mm -hmm. because my rainmaker has signed the contract. Mm -hmm. So we have sold 36 houses Mm -hmm. or I was the primary agent with the Amy kite team. Right. Like, it's unbelievable, which it was so much more loose back then.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember the first Mistakes
0: were way more forgivable, like, back then. Oh, for
1: sure. I mean, this, this, the, I mean, our board, you know, going after every little thing that uh, an agent makes on a mistake, it's just, it's so stressful. And
0: it takes the human out of it. Like, I said yesterday in a meeting, I said, just call the other broker. Like, I just called a broker from John Green because there was, we were having a challenge. And it was an awesome conversation. And he said, you know what? Thank you for calling me. I said, well, I respect you. And I like you. Of course I'll call you.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Like we don't need to get in such a mean fight because someone makes an error. I make a mistake every single day. And if there's some grace behind it, we could all be better.
1: For sure. And I get calls from agents, you know, that are going through trials and tribulations and negotiation or whatever it is, you know, home inspection issue or an issue with the seller. And my first thing is communicate, stop with the texting, pick, up the, pick phone. up the phone and communicate because your end goal is to get the home sold for the highest and best price for your client or, you know, lowest and best price for your buyer, whatever it may be to so get to closing. It's to get to closing. Stop being in the way. And I actually had the conversation with two different agents yesterday. You are in the way. Open up your mind and look at the big picture and stop saying, I, 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 because it's not about you. It's about your client. So yes, every day, pick up the phone, stop with the text war. Well, what was a
0: one rule mom always said over and over and over again?
1: All I remember mom saying is, I'm on the phone. (laughs) Quiet. I'm on the phone. (laughs) Girls, stop it. I'm on the phone. That's what I remember her saying. I'm sorry, Karen, go
0: ahead. We had to learn phone. Etiquette. We did have to learn because the clients and other agents called. We didn't have cell phones. They called home phones,
1: and you had to know how to answer it. Yeah, your home phone was on your listing, so we would answer the phone, knowing that it was a client or another realtor. We
0: assumed. Uh, That's a safe assumption. Yeah, and that was. I think that was a great skill that we had to have, and the crazy chaos of the yelling of the phone. But my mom would go out and show, like, drop and go show all the time, and.
1: This is my best advice for the working realtor parent is that if you say you're going to be home at seven, show up at six. So if I think I'm going to be showing homes until eight 30, I will tell my husband, I'm going to be home at nine and not eight 30 because dad used to get so mad that she would say, I'll be home at seven. And then she would be home at like seven 30 or seven 45. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that is a big issue is time with well, time management Time anyway. management but I always like to say I'll be home at eight and show up at 7.30. no it doesn't always work but I would give you that go, grace gives you the grace that's my that's my tip for the day so that's really good
2: advice because I don't know if the same is true 10 15 30 years ago um but like now it, it does seem like a, a lot of new Realtors are people entering the workforce after a lull taking care of the family taking care of the household
0: yeah it's their turn now
2: yeah it's, it's their turn now and you do have to have buy-in from everybody at home. And it's easy to say, yeah, I'm going to support you in this new endeavor. But it's a lot harder to do when mom or dad showing up at 830 when you thought they'd be home at 7.
1: Right. So when I got into the business, you know, it wasn't an like it was an agreement between my husband and I, this is what we were going to do. We took $5,000 out of the savings account to put towards my business. And what I always say to agents is that when they're getting in the business and they're like, wow, this is so expensive. The class doesn't prepare you for this. I always say, well, listen, you're opening up your storefront, right? So you have to buy the hamburgers to make the hamburgers to sell the hamburgers. So your hamburgers, you know, that you have to buy and make are your business cards, your signs, your marketing, whatever it may be. Then you got to make that happen by taking time and marketing that storefront and taking the time and getting to know your own business and setting it up with a cash register, which is, of course, your accountant and your listings. And then your, you know, to try to find your clients that are going to come into your hamburger store. And then of course you sell the hamburgers and you take them all the way through that meal and, you know, close the deal. And then hopefully they come back for another hamburger. So people have to understand, you have to have investment in it first, which is your time, your money, and your energy. Mm -hmm. So my husband should have his own business card that says vice president of, you know, the wind home team, Cindy Wendler, because honestly, he just took a sign out of the ground for me yesterday. Thank you so much. Yeah. I just remember my mom driving around
0: on her car phone with a cigarette and a Diet Coke in her hand <laughs> in her Oldsmobile or Lincoln.
1: Yeah, it was
0: um, Diet right. Diet right, <laughs> Chewing Big Red. on was
1: another soda?
0: Di- it was Diet right. Tab.
1: Tab.
2: Oh, God. Tab.
0: Ugh. It was Tab. I was raised on Tab. I didn't get milk. I got Tab. Yeah, you did. And... And that's how she was doing deals. And she was a top agent, but it was the perception of what kind of car you drive. I think that's gone down a lot, actually.
2: The cars. Oh, you think that's cars specifically? Cars,
0: watches, uh, like The Millionaire Next Door, I think changed a lot of it.
2: Right. So I would agree with that. I don't think that that's been as prevalent. Now, tying back to professionalism from earlier, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Because... Most agents have traded in the fancy car and traded in yes. the, the nice suit mm-hmm. for disheveled hair, jeans, sneakers, and a t-shirt. Well,
0: you know how I feel about that too. Right. I think there's a happy medium. But mm-hmm. if I look at our examples of leaders in business around the country and the world.
1: Mm-hmm. If
0: I look at Jeff Bezos or uh, Paul Allen or Bill Gates or uh, I think Warren Buffett would be the only person today we still see in a suit, right? Look at the owners of Facebook what's Mark Zuckerberg. Mm -hmm. He wears a hoodie every day. I hate it. I think it looks terrible, but he gets to, he wears a hoodie every day. I think there's a time and a place in who your client is. So while mom got dressed up every day to go to work and then she came home and put on her jeans, like Mm -hmm. that did happen. Um, And I call it a realtor wardrobe Mm
2: -hmm. because
0: she could wear it like five times before you washed it. But our business, the people we're looking up to in business are so much more casual it's not just Wall Street players that we idolize okay it's entrepreneurs who have created these businesses so you're
2: saying that yes the attire has gotten less professional but that seems to be
0: more of society at large I think there's a lack of respect mm-hmm. in general for people who have come before um, I, I, I think about that people don't honor the people that have worked so hard because they know they can do it better faster easier Mm -hmm. So I think we don't give enough respect for some people who have done it and and sustained in the business. I mean, there are agents in Naperville that have been in the business for 30 and 40 years and are still top of their game.
2: So I will say that the agents that we have in Naperville, or at least in KW, that I've seen, that are significantly older, they seem to be the ones that have made the right decisions throughout
0: the period. In any company, if you have sustainability with any company, you're doing something right, right. Yeah
2: these are people that have treated people well yes they have a track record of being fair they have a track record of being honest and they they have a track record of not being shady
0: in their dealings and and there is and just being up front there is an agent when I sold real estate in Denver her name is Nicole Bradford and I'm not sure what company she's with because she was we were never with the same company mm-hmm. but as soon as I saw her listing that it was her I was excited hmm. I was so excited to work with her because she would invest. She would buy flips and then she would flip them. And I always had buy first time buyers for them. And we became now this relationship. She's like, just bought another one. And I would know it was coming right, because of the relationship and the respect she and I had for each other. And so when I I love that, right. And she, she's, and I hope she's still in the business today because she should be. But even after the fact, the way she showed up with integrity, like I had a buyer buy one of her flips and the furnace wasn't working eight months later, but they couldn't test it or the AC because of the weather. Mm-hmm. And she still went in and fixed it. And it was a three or $4,000 repair. Oh, wow. So it's more of those people and the relationship that we created. And we were never in the same company, but we just worked really well as colleagues.
2: Yeah. I, I get, you see some of that, but that's, that seems like the exception more than the rule. Mm-hmm. Um. Is that an issue? Do you think? So, so what I can think of is when I was at Coldwell Banker, we had a lot of older agents. You did. Um, and then coming over to Keller Williams, significantly fewer or a lower percentage were older agents. We probably still had about the same amount, but it made up a smaller percentage of the agent population. And so I remember, you know, I can't remember the agent's name specifically. At Coldwell Banker, but when I said that I was that the whole team essentially was coming over to Keller Williams, they would mention Jack Euler time and time again. Oh,
0: and the would, mayor.
2: Yeah, they would always they would always say Jack Euler, like that is a very you know valued person that is someone who mm-hmm. thinks a lot about the integrity, thinks a lot about how they're showing up in other people's business and in their lives. Like you're going to a good place because they have Jack Euler, was what the older agents sh- sh- would say to me. Nobody's ever said that to me about football banker nobody's ever been like oh you were at football banker did you know so-and-so they're such a great person i've never heard that the other way but it also seems like that's such an exception that that's just not the rule
0: like yeah can you think of i can think of one great agent in every single brokerage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i can too
1: and i agree with you karen like there are certain like agents. you love patty murray i do i love patty i love Stephen haas I Yeah, love Susan roads you know so yeah, I look at agents and when I do see their listings, you know, and I'm gonna show one of theirs, I do hope my buyer buys that one because of their <laughs> reputation. Because of the reputation. I want to work with that agent. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I go in with a buyer and I don't know the agent, I, I really hope that I start off the conversation in the right way and we get on the, you know, you know, get on the right track of negotiation and not end up being combative or you know, having all these personality difference issues.
0: And I think that goes when you go get listings too, Mm -hmm. is that you can tell your seller agents like to work with me. If it were me, I would go get testimonials from other realtors and bring them to my listing presentation because it matters. Mm -hmm.
1: But the consumer doesn't know that. They don't understand that. But
0: if I had testimonials to show, I love working with. Are you saying that the consumer doesn't understand that that's important?
1: They don't. I don't think they understand it.
0: Why wouldn't you explain it then?
1: Well, I would explain it. But I don't know that that's really what they're looking for when they're going to hire me. You know, do, do I work well with others? I think that anybody can say that. And I love the testimonial idea too. Yeah. And I may try to use that. I, that's interesting actually. Thinking about
0: what you were saying about setting the tone of the expectation, because that makes you look like a professional. and mm-hmm. that you're prepared and you can handle right? Any conversation because you know your audience. And then imagine if you had the stats to back it up and then you had the testimonials,
1: right? Well, people make fun of me because I have all these checklists of what to bring to a CMA. Well, I do that to try to stay on task. So who is my client? And then, then I know what I'm bringing. So if you're organized enough in that way, you will, of course, try to stay to that, you know, 45 minute our appointment, whatever your goal is that day, and hopefully get done what you need to get done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And bring the stats. But yes, I go through my client, um, you know, basically their information sheet, you know, who are they? Where do they work? What do they do? You know, how many children do they have? That kind of stuff. Do they have a doc? Of course. And what type of doc? So important. Okay.
0: I think what agents don't do well is they don't ask them enough questions, the sellers, and we talk too much. And so I had an agent come to me and saying, I'm not converting, I'm not converting. And I said, tell me about your listing appointment. And I had them model it for me. And I said, all you've done is talk about you.
2: I want to talk about that in the context of time. Is that something that's more apparent today? Does that happen more often today than it did? 15, which, 20- which part? People, people talking more than they listen and talking more than they ask questions.
0: Yes. And I find that no one is leaning into the conversation because we're all communicate so passively now because of text and email that real estate used to be a pick up the phone only or mail or in-person meetings. And so when we have all these other ways to communicate through social media, texting or email, no one has a conversation and says, what is it that you're looking for in your realtor? Mm-hmm. Because if I just started a question, I would know exactly what decision or what I'm going to deliver to them.
1: But I think it's about time. I mean, back then, if you did, you know, 12 to 20 transactions, I mean, you were amazing. Now people are doing 40, 100, 250 yeah. transactions. I think it's time. People don't take the time to really sit down with the client on an ongoing basis and really get to know that. But has
0: anyone asked, like, I can tell you, what do you like about your realtor? And they're going to say, they're friendly, they're this. And I go, great. What do you don't want? What do you not want in your realtor? Because I am very quick to tell you what I don't want. Don't waste my time. Like, that's just my personality. And we don't ask what it is that we don't want. They don't want from us
1: mm-hmm.
0: ever. I think it's because we don't want to hear it. And then it's the easiest way to avoid conflict if we just knew what it was. Like, what would piss you off? Right. Is it being late? Is it this? For me, it would say being late. Like, I know if I had a, cl- I had a realtor, what would piss you off? Being late, not setting expectations.
1: Not, not responding.
0: And not responding within 24 hours. Because I might think it would be not responding in three hours when they're fine with 24 hours because they're in business and they understand. mm mm-hmm. But I think we get so far away from asking the questions of what they don't want.
1: What would you want, AJ? What would you want your realtor to be like?
2: Me specifically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd like clear communication and I'd like a plan. Like the plan. Like, I think we call it future facing.
1: As
2: as long as I have a good idea of what we're going to do and when we're going to do it. usually okay with
1: it that is actually i'm glad you brought that up because that is something i think people are lacking that they don't write out their plan to get the home sold or with the buyer or next steps next steps our buyer even working with the buyer working with the buyer i love to go okay what is our timeline and could that timeline change what is our plan so you've been pre-approved you've done such and such but when you sit down and go over the plan or even the marketing plan with the seller. That's clear. And you write out the dates and you calendar it for them. You're right. That is exactly what they want to know. What's the plan?
2: So that's one of the things that I think technology has really done right. Yes. That we're starting to incorporate into KW. Because if you think about, you know, buying something online and you're in the checkout process, you'll see a little roadmap up top with like four or five dots. And they each have like, you know, fill out your order information. Right below it has put in your payment info, shipping info, and then order confirmed. And you can see highlighted what dot you're on and how far along the track you are. Correct. So when we as realtors have something like that, that is, you know, get the home ready, have the photography, get the home, you know, on the market, install the lockbox, allow showings, and the consumer can see where they are in the process. I think that'll inspire a lot more confidence. That would definitely satiate a buyer or a consumer like me. Like that would definitely... Be, get my goat
1: going? Yeah, it would get your goat. It
2: would get my goat. That would definitely get my goat.
1: Right. So if you knew that that was coming, not even from a conversation, but through technology every Monday, you would look forward to it. Mm -hmm. Your expectation was met. You got that information on Monday that the appraiser happened or this happened or whatever it may be. And then on Wednesday, you went in and looked at it again, or then you were updated on Thursday. I love that technology is going to take over some of those conversations, to be honest, because I do that checklist and I am utilizing, you know, I look at the command drop down and I'm excited, you know, to incorporate it into my transaction because that is what they're salivating for. Mm-hmm. They want to be informed. So I tell agents all the time, the key to real estate is communication. It can be through technology. People love it. They love seeing that, that you know, calendar event happen, that, the um, appraisal has been completed or the, you know, title was sent to the attorney. It's awesome. Yeah.
0: No, I think it's communication on everything.
1: It is. It's the key. Working with, you know, when, I, when people are lead generating, mm-hmm. you know, to me, it's exciting to hear them um, you know, giving the timeline of events of, you know, potentially selling a home or buying a home. And I hear them on the phone and you can hear the excitement in the agent's voice. Well, you don't want that to wear down over time Mm -hmm. through the transaction. You have to kind of stay with that same excitement that this is what's happening next. And this is what's happening next because it's a big deal. This is the number one, probably the largest investment somebody's ever going to make right. in home ownership. So let's make sure we take it from beginning to end with that same passion. Hmm. Just like that. Just like that. See, mm-hmm. see how smart I am, AJ? Did you know?
2: <laughs> I did know. Like, did
1: you think Karen was smarter than me?
2: I, I have no opinion. I mean, on that she problem. acts
1: smarter than me, but really, I'm just the quiet little mouse in the corner, you know, just doing my little managing broker gig and selling those things.
2: Hey, AJ again. Had a lot of fun recording today's episode, but as always, we love to hear from you. Did you have a parent in real estate or someone in your industry? Um, follow us on Instagram at the Empire. Pick a recent photo and comment on it. Let us know what got you into real estate or what got you into your current job. We'd love to hear what inspires you and what drives you to make these big life decisions. It's super fulfilling for us, and we love to chat back and forth. So again, Instagram, at The Messy Empire.
1: Any suggestions for our next episode? Tell us on Instagram, at The Messy Empire. Thank you for listening to The Messy Empire with Karen Prawl.